Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. We are in a series entitled Redefined. Redefined is a series that's uh, based on uh, the life and the teaching of Jesus. And uh, Jesus said that the reason I came to the world, the reason I was born, is that I would... He said he would testify of the truth. And so as Jesus began to speak truth, he began to redefine everything. He began to redefine our identity. He began to redefine our relationship with God. He, he redefined our relationship with others. And today we continue this series. We are in week six This is our longest series. It's going to be a 16-week series. Hardly enough to cover uh, uh, great topics like your identity and your relationships. I'd like to share with you uh, a summary. This is just an introduction to uh, a lifelong journey of discovery in God's kingdom. In the beginning, we talked about our identity as God's sons and daughters. And then the second theme, which we are in now, is our relationship with others. And that'll take four weeks, finishing up Matthew chapter 5. And then we move on to our relationship with God in the following weeks, covering Matthew chapter 6. And then we talk about wisdom for life. In the final leg, Matthew chapter 7. If you had any questions, I think it was Cassandra, she was talking about wanting that spark to stay alive, and that's a challenge for all of us. I heard one of the youth say uh, they heard the idea at the conference that sometimes we can be like a matchstick. And uh, there's a quick flash in the beginning and a quick burn, but then sometimes we burn out. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm so glad to hear they had that experience at the conference, because in my years of observing people in the kingdom of God, I'm able to see some long-term effects. And I have noticed that the people who are able to persevere and run the marathon are those who experience being filled with the Holy Spirit. And those who don't, for whatever reason, drop out here and there. And so we don't want to be like a matchstick, right? We don't want a quick flash and a quick burn and then burn out. We want to be like a volcano that has this unlimited source of heat and light and energy to be able to reveal God's heart and how he makes a difference in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you're here. And I thank you that you promised to teach and to reveal everything that Jesus taught to remind us by your Spirit. And I pray, God, that you would take the words of Jesus today and use them to illumine our minds and our hearts Lord, use them to redefine our perceptions of ourselves, our perception of you, and our perception of other people, and how we respond to all of that and how we relate to each other. 
God, I ask that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds and allow us to live lives that honor you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. And the title of this message is Honesty Redefined. And Jesus begins by saying, You have also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out your vows, the vows you make to the Lord. Now this is a direct quote of Numbers chapter 30, verse 2 where we read, you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. God's word is the basis of ethics in our country since the beginning, since the founding. Um, There's evidence of it everywhere. Uh, If you just, you've seen it in TV, if you've not been in court yourself, when a witness is sworn into uh, the process of a court hearing and they put their hand on the Bible And they say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Another example is when a new president is sworn into office. He places his hand on a Bible, and they ask him this question. Do you promise to defend the Constitution of the United States? Last week, uh, Armin talked about marriage, how marriage is a covenant, The marriage covenant is very important because it represents the relationship between God and his people. These are all modern-day examples of vows. And we would all agree these vows are very important. But then Jesus does a 180, and in the next verse he says this, But I say, do not make any vows. And you're like, what? I thought that's a good thing. What do you mean, do not make any vows? And then he gave some examples of what not to do. And these examples were common in the days of Jesus. Next verse, he said, Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. In today's, in, today, in today's world, we would say things like, uh, I swear to God, or I swear on a stack of Bibles, or I swear by my mother's grave, or cross my heart, hope to die, whatever that means. Okay? That's usually something kids would say. And on the surface, it would appear that Jesus is saying, don't make promises. But if you look closely at his examples, you will see it's not that simple. The issue is not about making promises. The issue is about making promises that are bolstered or backed up with something more than yourself. Why does Jesus say this? What's so bad about that? I mean, if someone's making a promise or a commitment or even a simple statement and they feel they need to back it up, what's wrong with that? Allow me to illustrate. If a teenager says to a parent, I'll be home at 10 p.m., how is that different if they say, I'll be home at 10 p.m.? I promise. How is that different? 
If someone walks into this room and says, has anybody seen a black phone? And somebody here says, no, I haven't seen it. I swear to God I haven't seen it. I mean, what does that tell you? Why not just say, sorry, bro, no phone here? Or middle school girls with drama on campus. You know how there's all these cliques, right? And one of them says to another, did you tell Sally that she couldn't be a part of our group? No. Ask Kathleen. She was there. She knows. No, why not just say no? What does that tell us? All of these examples have one thing in common. People are compensating. They're compensating. And why? Why why do we compensate? Why do we feel the need to strengthen our statements? If you feel the need to back it up, then indirectly what you're saying is your word is not enough. Or at least you don't think it is. Jesus said, interestingly, the very next verse, Jesus said, say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't, and anything beyond this is from the evil one. Well, that's a strong statement. Today, we'll focus on this point. Anything more than a simple yes or no is of the evil one. Why did Jesus say this? Well, the evil one is the father of lies. And it's interesting. Jesus starts out with the topic of honesty, and he ends with the evil one, who is the father of lies. This is the contrast. The father of lies, he tempts all of us to lie. And it's important to know how he does that. Why do people lie? Well, let me give a few examples. Imagine a guy named Joe, and Joe recently got a job as a driver with FedEx. And so it's his first week on the job, and he's parking the truck to make a delivery, and as he's backing up, he accidentally backs into a tree branch. And he didn't see it because it was kind of high, hit the top of the truck. It wasn't in his rearview mirror. And uh, he didn't see it, but he felt it, and he heard it. And so he gets out of the truck, and he goes back, and he looks, and sure enough, this branch dented the top of the truck, and it cracked one of the reflectors. So the next day, his boss comes to him and says, Hey, Joe, do you know what happened to the truck? And Joe, being a new employee, he wasn't really aware at the moment that the entire fleet of trucks for FedEx, they're all covered by insurance. But he was scared, and inside he thought, maybe they're going to make him pay for it. And so he said, no, I don't know what happened to the truck. How'd that get there? One reason that people lie is because they're afraid of being punished. Perhaps this is why Cain lied after he murdered his brother. The Lord came to him and said, where is your brother? And Cain said, I don't know. I imagine Cain was afraid of punishment, and so he lied. Cain didn't know that God had a plan before the beginning of time that Jesus would pay the penalty for his sin and that he could be forgiven if he was honest. Cain was in a totally different frame of mind. Here's another story. Little Johnny... He grew up in a family where every day he got scolded for something. 
And he felt like he was a disappointment. And so he decided in his little heart that he would try to please those around him so that he would not be a disappointment. Then one day he grew up and he got married. And his wife asked him, would you change the outside light bulb at the back of the house? And because of the way he's been all of his life, he just automatically said yes because he never wants to disappoint. But in his heart, really, he had other interests. He had other projects. He had other priorities. And he really didn't think, you know, it's just a light bulb. It's not a big urgency. And so he said yes. But three weeks later, the light bulb is still out. Meanwhile, his wife is frustrated. And she's starting to think that he's unreliable. Another reason people lie is because They don't want to disappoint. They don't want to disappoint other people around them. But if you think about it for a moment, that's kind of contradictory, right? I mean, because if they find out that you didn't keep your word, then for sure they're going to be disappointed. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, the very thing that you're trying to avoid is caused by lying. Here's another story. When Mary was a little girl, uh, she would make childish mistakes, like all of us did. And one day, Mary locked the keys in the car, locked the car keys in the car. And her mom said, how could you be so stupid? Now you're going to be late for school. I'm going to be late for work. You're so stupid. And hearing messages like this over the years, Mary developed a poor self-image. And in her little heart, she came to believe that I'm not good enough. In order to compensate, Mary would exaggerate about things that she did, making them sound better than they really were. Mary was tempted to lie to make herself look good because she was compensating. Another little guy, Stephen. He grew up in a home where the family was always arguing and fighting. And as a result, he was afraid of conflict. When he was little, his dad was putting a shirt on Stephen, and he didn't like the color, and he said, no, I want to wear the other shirt. And his dad got upset at him, and he said, no child of mine is going to tell me, no, you do what I tell you to do. And tragically, uh, this father totally misrepresented God's heart because God honors our choices. He said, I stand at the door and knock, and if you open the door, I will come in. God honors our choices. Unless a child is allowed to say no, then their yes means nothing. Unless they're allowed to say no, and we're not talking about rebellion. We're just talking about personal preference. If they're not allowed to express their personal preference and to be able to say no, then their yes means nothing. And some people grow up this way, and they're conditioned to say yes, even if they don't mean it. And so, quickly, to summarize these different things we've been talking about, there's fear of punishment is a reason that we lie, fear of rejection, fear of not being good enough, and fear of conflict. And in all of these, fear is the common denominator. Fear is one of the primary tools of Satan. Fear 
is the reason we lie. And this is why Jesus said, anything beyond a simple yes or a simple no is of the evil one, the father of lies. So, how do we overcome fear? How do we, how do we develop true honesty? Have you ever seen one of those movies where the bad guys kidnap a family member to hold them for ransom? Uh, that's exactly what the kingdom of darkness is like. That's exactly what it's all about. The enemy will pick anything in your life that you're holding on to, anything that is dear to you, and threaten to take it away. And if you haven't learned already to let it go, then he can make you afraid of losing it. And once you have fear, then he has something on you. He has leverage on you. He has leverage in your life. And then he can control you because you will do anything to keep whatever it is that you're holding on to, whatever it is that you're afraid to let go. In other words, you will pay the ransom, even if it means lying. In order to overcome fear, we need to give up everything. You need to give up your reputation uh, in your heart, trying to, trying to strive for it or maintain it. You need to give it up. You need to give up your expectation that you'll always be in perfect health. You need to give up your house, your car, your family, your marriage. You need to give up your life. I'm not saying to actually do that or to strive for that. But the idea is that in priority in relation to God, you need to give it up as something that you hold higher than him. It's something that you won't let go of. Now, this was the test with Abraham and Isaac. Not that you actually lose it, but that you give it up as a priority that's higher than God. And the test is to consider losing it. And watch the response of your heart. You just do a test run. Just watch the response of your heart. How do you feel? Are you still at a place of peace with God? Face losing it all and be willing to part with it and still be able to say to God that my relationship with you is enough. Once you get to that place, then the enemy has nothing on you. He has nothing. He has no leverage. He has no access point to create fear, to try and influence. Does this sound extreme? Jesus said, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake will keep it. Paul said it this way. He said, all those things, all those accomplishments, everything that I strived for in life, all the status, all the achievement, he said, all of that I consider rubbish. I consider nothing compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Redefining honesty is radical. Jesus modeled how to be fear, how to be free from fear, and how to speak truth. This is how you overcome fear. When you live for God alone, then he sets you free from fear. When you're free from fear, then you're free to be honest. Jesus was not afraid 
to be honest. It didn't matter who it was. It could be the most powerful authorities in Israel. And even if they would be offended, he would speak truth. He didn't compromise because he had no fear. And he demonstrated that all the way. He went all the way. Jesus came to redefine honesty. Now, I'm not saying this kind of dark idea of, you know, if you really want to prove your loyalty to God and your spirituality, you should hope for hardship and difficulty and failure and still be happy. I'm not promoting that. I mean, why not, like Sabi prayed before she went to the conference, I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see miracles. Or why not experience uh, honoring God through uh, success at your work or in your marriage or in your relationships? You know, why not honor God through living healthy and being fit and being able to do more than you could if you didn't? I mean, all of this is important to honor God, but the question is, what's their priority? Is that the ultimate pursuit, that I want to be fit or that I want to be successful or that I want a lot of money? If that becomes higher than God, then it becomes an idol. And then the enemy can touch that and go, oh, yeah? I'll take that away. And then we're like, no, 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 don't take it away. And then we're under that influence. We're under that bribe like, like a terrorist that has kidnapped a family member and, and may, put out a ransom and said, okay, what are you going to do to keep it? Well, I'll, 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 I'll compromise. It's okay. I, I, I won't live for God. I won't follow my conscience. I won't follow his word. I'll just, I'll be quiet. I'll do whatever to keep that. And we don't want to be in that situation where we are held hostage or things in our life are held hostage. You want to be able to speak truth. I was getting a used car part at Luhans, and the guy said, come with me. And I'm like, that's strange. Usually you just go get the part and you bring it to me. So I'm tromping through the junkyard. We're getting a part. I needed a seatbelt, the lower buckle. And he goes, did they give you a quote? I said, yeah, 40 bucks. He goes, okay, so he gets a seatbelt. He goes, I'll tell you what, I'll give it to you for 30, and we'll just tell the office that you didn't find one. So there I am in that moment. What am I going to do? And then he throws in a little extra. I heard you're looking for new rims for your car, so I'll give you a good deal on rims if we make this first deal. He's trying to tempt. And we all face situations like that from time to time, right? Somebody says, it's okay. Don't say anything. It's not a big deal. It's just you and me. Nobody knows. Somebody knows. Yeah. And so I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pay for it at the office. My conscience won't allow me to do that. He goes, I get that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus came to redefine honesty. Transparency is honesty redefined. Transparency is a virtue in the kingdom of God. Transparency is appreciated and valued and respected among the godly. When you get into the kingdom of darkness, they're all like, no, don't show, hide, cover up. Jesus said he wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. And he calls us to separate ourselves from the world. 
And one of those characteristics that will reveal the amount of renewing in our lives is the degree of honesty in who we are and what we say and what we do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus' powerful words for living. Lord, we just take a moment here to stop and listen and ask you, what are you saying to me? And if you would just kind of connect with the Lord through your heart, just be still inside, watch and listen. Just say, God, what are you saying to me? How does this apply specifically in my circumstance? Is there anything that I'm afraid of? Father, I ask that where there is fear, that you would reveal your love. Father, I thank you that your perfect love cast out all fear. And I ask that you would reveal your love to each one here today. Everyone who needs to see it or feel it or know it deep down inside, God, I ask that you would make your love real. Lord, so real that we don't have to be afraid of the old things that we used to be afraid of. As you're praying, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. As I was preparing for this message, I just felt like your heavenly Father wants you to know that honesty is a part of your new identity. His spirit of truth is in you. Jesus said, I am the truth. But fear can prevent us from living in our true identity. And so just ask the Lord God, is there anything that I'm afraid of? Is there anything that I'm afraid to lose? And ask God to help you to let it go. Ask God to help you to let it go. Could be a relationship, a family member, your reputation, a material thing, whatever it is. Just ask the Lord to help you let it go so that it's not a higher priority than He is. God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but He's given you a spirit of power and love and self discipline. He wants you to walk in this gift that he gives you, a new identity. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to talk to another group here today. While I'm doing that, I invite the worship team to come on up. If you're here today, as you've been listening to me talk about a relationship with God, that resonates with you. There's something inside you feel like God's been trying to get your attention lately. The reason you're here in church today is because you sense that. You sense that there's something missing. You feel like God's trying to get your attention. This idea of having a relationship with him 
it's something that interests you, something that you desire. And if you've never made a formal choice, a conscious decision to invite God into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. That's the beginning of starting your relationship with Him. And the way to do that is simply express your decision to God. That's what we call prayer. And so I'll pray out loud and you can follow along in your heart. Father God, I'm here now because I sense that you've been getting my attention. And so I'm here saying yes to you. I'm choosing to open up my life. And I'm inviting you to be a part of it. So God, I ask you to come into my life and I ask that you would show yourself to me you would make yourself real to me. Lord, I ask that you would show me your way of doing life. Uh, my way's been rough. Um, things haven't worked out the way I had hoped. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for things I've done that were hurtful to myself, to others. And I, most of all, my relationship with you. God, I, I ask you to forgive me. And I just acknowledge what Jesus did for me, and I thank you for him. What he did for me on the cross, and today I'm choosing to receive your spirit into my life. And I, Lord, ask you to forgive me for the things I've done. And if you're praying this prayer right now, I just want to ask you to do just a moment of business with God and let his spirit come into you. It's a spirit of forgiveness. It's a spirit of God's favor. He wants to give you a new start in life and it's a free gift. It's for you. I just want to invite you to accept it by faith and say thank you, God, for coming into my life. And God, I ask that you would change me and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.